guy, here it comes. <laughs> Surprise. Jeez Louise, what is the matter with you? Um, John's the closest thing I have in the world to a brother. And um, I love him. So, you know, it's funny. I can't, it's, he announced that he was going into Kenny's class just like a month before they had decided to bring me here around that time. And, and uh, it was hard to know that I wasn't going to have him with me in ministry. But it's a blessing. Uh, I don't know, just any time I can be with him. So that's good for me. Hopefully we were blessed uh, by worship this morning. We're going to open the word. We're going to read it. Then we're going to study it. You all right with that? Yeah. yeah. So open Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start in, in uh, verse 28. And I'm going to have Alex read for us and pray for us uh, as we get into it. Cool? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are uh, the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, and that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Um, Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for being a good father to us. And I thank you for claiming us as your own. I thank you for making a way for us uh, to, to have right uh, communion with you again, uh, Father. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would, uh, Lord, as, we, as we're about to go into uh, this time of teaching and, and, and listening and learning, God, that you'd be preparing our hearts uh, right now that you'd be softening our hearts to be able to receive this message and that it wouldn't just be um, a throwaway message, God, that we'd hear uh, and then completely just disregard. God, I pray that we would be able to leave here knowing that you've made us justified. And if we haven't made that decision to trust on, uh, on you, God, that we would um, put our faith in you, Jesus, and uh, allow you to uh, work through us to further your kingdom. God, we love you. Uh, I pray for Brandon as he's about to uh, teach, that you'd be uh, speaking through him, that you'd remove him uh, from the situation, that you could just come through in your word. And uh, Lord, thank you for Brandon. I thank you for our leaders. Uh, and most of all, we thank you for you. And um, Lord, we love you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. All right. Last week, uh, we spent... <clears throat> time in verses 28 through 30. And uh, there's a lot of uh, faces here I, don't, I haven't seen before, so hopefully I get a chance to meet you before, before you go. Uh, but uh, welcome, welcome to, to Kaya. Um, man, it seems like there's always a lot to talk about, and I don't ever have enough time, so we better get right into it, okay? Um, last week we learned that God has predetermined that all believers should be conformed to His image. Okay, so... What does that look like? We talked about this last week because we had to dispel some things. We had to dispel some heresy and, uh, that, that people uh, bring into Scripture. Okay, um, But this is what it looks like to read Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 28 through 30 correctly. Before time began, before God created the world, uh, He knew all things. He knew all things. Because if He didn't, He wouldn't be God. And when He saw all of, all of history and all of time... 
uh, at once, he saw believers. He saw Christians. He saw people that would make a decision to follow him with their lives. And he determined that that people group, that group of people, those people that would come to believe and to choose him, he determined some things about them. Okay, And he determined way back when that those people would be conformed to his image. That he would be moving and working to see them become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means that God works on our behalf. Okay, and that's what we see in verse 28, that God is working all things to, to, to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And that good thing is being conformed to his image. Okay, when he's working and he's moving and he's creating circumstances in your life that are, that are trying and they're difficult, uh, what he's doing is he's trying to move you in the direction of his son. He's trying to press you into the, the mold of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And so on his part, he's promised to work to see that happen. That's what this passage is about. But we also know that we have a free will. And because of our free will, there, there's a, a requirement on our part as well. There's some things that we also have to determine as human beings. We also have to, to say to ourselves, Lord, I know that you're calling me to conform to you. And so I willingly press in to what you've determined me to be. Now, if we also read this passage, what we recognize is that in the future, no matter what, every believer is going to be glorified. So no matter what, you will be conformed to Christ's image at some point. Okay, whether it's here in this life or in, or in the life to come, God's goal is to get you to be conformed to, his, uh, to, to the son, uh, image of his son. And he's going to do that either here on earth or ultimately when he brings you home. But it's much better for us and for our judgment seat if we determine now that we are going to, to ride that wave, and we're going to let God's perfect work do what it's supposed to do, and if we don't kick against the system that God has in place for us, if we don't fight against the ambitions that Jesus Christ has set for us, we will ultimately be conformed to his image even in this lifetime, believe it or not. Okay, none of us will attain perfection, but we do have the ability to look like Jesus Christ. We have that ability. He's given it to us. And so let's talk briefly about the deterrence for that to happen. What are the things that might deter us from growing spiritually? What are the things that get in the way? Well, first of all, our unwillingness to believe him at his promise. And in this case, the promise is that he wants to conform us to his image. And that he's doing that work. And he's working all things for our good. Right? But if we are unwilling to believe him at that simple promise, then his way isn't the right way. Like in our mind, our ambitions become the right way. And conformity looks like whatever we want to conform to. And we fight against, what he's, against his plan. And so what we're talking about here is learning how to believe Jesus Christ for what he said to us. If we know for a fact that Jesus Christ's plan is for us to be conformed to his image... We, we have the ability to say no and to fight against it. And he's going to be like, well, okay, you can fight me. In the end, I'm going to get my way, but you can fight me. It's your choice, but this is what I'm working towards. And we can either believe him at that or not. The promise that he will work uh, your suffering for growth is right here in this passage. The promise that he's going to take your circumstances and make them right, they're right here in this passage. 
And he wants to use you in spite of your weaknesses. That promise is right here in this passage. It's a promise, promise that he's going to take your worthlessness and make it right. Now, we don't have to believe him at that. And if we don't, then that, that our story ends there. Our spiritual growth ends right there. If we don't take him at that promise. You know, the funny thing is, it's like, do we not? Raise your hand if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Okay, that means that at some point, you decided to believe God for a promise. Yeah, it's funny how day to day, we neglect to believe his promises. It's, it's weird that way. You know, if someone, like, does anybody have one, uh, a friend uh, or a person at their workplace that's just like a natural born liar? <laughs> when I was growing up, there was a kid named Chris Stevenson. Do you remember him? Yeah. There's this kid named Chris Stevenson. And Chris uh, told lies about everything. Stuff he didn't even need to tell lies about. Like, just always trying to impress everyone. Like, if we were like in fourth grade, and he had some kids in our neighborhood convinced that he... He was preparing to drive NASCAR. <laughs> this face tells you what I thought of Chris Stevenson. <laughs> Chris Stevenson. Anyway, but everybody knows someone like that who just seems to lie about everything. Now, now the problem is, even if you like that person, it's really hard to believe that person for anything. It's hard to trust a person like that. You know, you, that's not your go-to. That person that your friend that, 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 that is always making stuff up, that's not your go-to. That's not the person you bring intimate stuff to. Why? Because they're not trustworthy. But the whole of Scripture is about proving the fact that God is trustworthy. And so how is it that we abandon that idea every morning when we wake up? We forget the promises that he's put in front of us, and we do have the ability to stop believing him day to day. God forbid. Now the other thing is, is we, we can refuse to sacrifice in light of his promises. So we might even acknowledge intellectually that God's promises are true. That they're worth believing in. But if we don't function in light of the promises, then what good are they? We have to activate those promises by living in them, by taking action. I mean, that's the whole point of Mike's message this morning about the mission was this idea that, that um, we have to at some point put action to our faith. There are things that we need to do in light of the fact that God has promised things to us. A promise that you believe is a promise that you live out. And if the promise doesn't inform a, a change or affect your day-to-day, then the prom- promise is absolutely worthless. And you know what? Change means Sacrifice. So if we're not willing to give things up to believe Jesus, then what are we doing? Like, okay, so think for a minute. In in relation, okay, okay, okay. You guys have recognized no matter where your walk is, if you're following Jesus Christ, there's things that along the way you've had to give up. Like like some of them might be very minor things. Maybe a friend here or there, okay? Um, I mean, some friends, that's a minor, that's a minor Right, Chris Stevenson. <laughs> it wasn't hard to let go, of Chris Stevenson. <laughs> but some friends are really hard to let go of, and there's just certain things that, like, as you grow, the 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 sacrifices that we make become that much more serious. The things that we have to give up, and, and sometimes it means 
family members who um, refuse to accept the fact that you're going to follow Jesus Christ. They refuse to accept that fact. Right? Uh, there's, there's just lifestyle changes that need to happen. Things that you're accustomed to, patterns that, that, that you've been living in, that you're, used, like, that you're used to doing, that you have to let go of. And some of us are convinced that, we are, that we're going to get the outcomes we want without having to give anything up. We think that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ without letting go of other things, and you're, and you're sadly mistaken. Okay, so what we're talking about is activating this promise by learning how to sacrifice and learning how to be disciplined and learning how to press in to the mold that God has given us, that he's set before time to press into. Now today we're going to look at, we're going to actually finish. We're actually going to finish Romans chapter 8. Okay, we're going to finish it. We're going to get all the way through it. And we're going to look at um, some more crucial promises that God has given us. So let me pray real quick. I'm going to pray. And then we're going, to, we're going to look right at verse 31. Can we do that? Dear Heavenly Father and Lord, I need you this morning. Um, it's funny how, uh, God, every, it seems like every week all the studying that I do and all the truth that you give me actually just presents itself as a hurdle. And that uh, every week I find myself having to trust you uh, and trust the Holy Spirit to speak the things that you want spoken. And so here I am uh, with a bunch of notes. And uh, God, I know what you've shown me, but even right now, reveal to me what's pressing for my life, for the life of these people. Uh, God, we are uh, a young adult ministry in Kansas City. Uh, we are fervent. We are excited. We love your word. Uh, and Lord, we just got done worshiping you. And, and so, Lord, I pray uh, that that's... Um, enough for you to do something with. Lord, we want to impact this world. We don't, we don't want uh, there to be any people on any campus that don't know the name of Jesus Christ. We want to see souls saved. We want to see people discipled. We want to see the world turned upside down again, just like in Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and God, we, look at, we read the news, and we look at the world around us, and we say to ourselves sometimes that it's impossible. We say that it's impossible, but it's only impossible because we've already decided that we're not going to be conformed to your image. <laughs> That's the only thing that makes that work impossible is the fact that we don't have faith. And so, God, this morning, increase our faith. Help us to believe you. Help us to trust you that you want to do something great and mighty in our lives and in turn do something great and mighty in this world. We want to be a part of that. And, God, we're desperate to be a part of that. That's what we're desperate to be a part of. So teach us. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, so in terms of conformity, in terms of growing to be more like Jesus Christ, there's some things that we have questions about in our walk. Things that we fear, perhaps. And Paul begins to address those right here in verse 31. And so our, our, the title of today's message is, If God Be For Us. Okay? And that is ultimately the answer uh, to everything. That is the answer. So I'm giving you the cheat in the title of the message. That's the answer. That's the message. Okay? And I'd like to dismiss you now, but, but that probably wouldn't be right. So we're going to keep studying. Verse 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? 
These things, the suffering, the circumstances, the struggles, the sins that come up against us, all the things that we've been reading about that God has solutions for. What do we say about all these things? If God ultimately, here it is, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now let's look at this who can be against us for a moment. And let's, let's look at the opposition that exists in the world. Who, meaning people, who, meaning people that we know, people, against, meaning opposition. Paul says, in light of Christ's plan for our lives, who could possibly oppose us? Now, conceptually, we understand this, don't we? In our mind, we understand it. We can acknowledge it. We say, okay, God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. Okay, he knows all things from the beginning to the end. He's the alpha, he's the omega. He has all power. He's created all things. And we know that if we've got God, who can be against us? Okay, we get that. Conceptually, in our minds, we get that. But in reality, it's not that simple, is it? You know, one thing I realize about pastoring Kai, it's taken probably a year now, I guess, to figure this out, is that young adults have way more heartstrings than the average individual. Okay? Like, I'm 34 now, and there's certain things that still get my goat. But for the most part, wait, you've never heard that saying? Okay. You just didn't expect me to say it. We, we did that country song in main service today. You know? Oh, my gosh. Maybe more country. Feeling more country this morning. Uh, no. As the older I get, the more tempered my emotions are. But when I was young, I was just not, not any different than any of you are. There's things that, like, are constantly... Uh, voices that are constantly plucking on my heartstrings, things that I'm emotionally drawn to, things that the young people uh, are, are fighting against and combating against, voices that seek to distract them. That, that oh, in time, I promise, uh, you'll still be distracted, but much, the, the distractions will be much more focused. And so, and man, it looks like so many different things, doesn't it? Like, what career am I going to have? And everybody's got an opinion about that. Who am I going to date? Well, everybody's got an opinion about that. Where am I going to go to school? Where am I going to live? How many hours should I work this week? Right? Who should I be friends with? What should I be reading? Like, just, like, everything. Everyone's got an opinion because everyone still thinks that you're 16 years old, right? Right? Like, your family members and your friends think that you're that same person that you were, like, 10 years ago. And that's not who you are. And everybody's got an opinion. And you know what? We are tempted, often, to be drawn away at the opinions of people. And this is a phenomenon that's uniquely powerful for young people because there's so many more voices. Voices of your professors and voices of your friends and the voices of your parents. Like my mom doesn't call me every day telling me what I should do anymore. Right? She, she doesn't like, she recognizes that I'm 34 and she can't, she just doesn't get to tell me like, if you're 34 and your mom is still telling you what to do, there's, like, serious problems going on. Okay? But as a young person, as a, as a, a 20-year-old, a 22-year-old, a 24-year-old, and you're still figuring things out, mom and dad might have a lot of opinions about that. For good and for bad. For good and for bad. And sometimes it's tough to know who has our best interests in mind. All of, all of the voices in your life working to help you... F- are they all working to help further your relationship with Jesus Christ? Probably not. Probably not. Sometimes people we love and ambitions that we care about and passions that we have seek to actually rob us of our pursuit of Christ. 
And we hear them and we often bend our own worldview to meet theirs. And so what I'm asking for you this morning is if you want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you have to make decisions about what voices that you're going to listen to. So here's some things that, that the world tells us. Is your primary pursuit should be a career. Your primary pursuit should be a soulmate. Your primary pursuit should be knowledge and learning. Your primary pursuit should be entertainment. And for all of us, it might be a combination of some of these things. Or maybe for some of us, it's just one or two of these things. There's lots of things that the world wants to tell us that we are. Things that, 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 uh, these are ideas that oppose what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's our friends and our family. And they're saying things. Some of these things might sound familiar to you. Okay? You might have heard some of these things before. You're spending too much time at church. You're taking the Bible too seriously. I mean, I had a, there's a student that I've been ministering to, at least on the West, who um, her and her family actually started attending Living Faith. And um, they went for several months. And uh, at the end of a, of a couple months, they realized that, that Living Faith at Lee Summit was just taking the Bible too seriously for them. And they told her that she could no longer attend the Bible studies because the Christians there, they take the Bible too seriously. Some, some of you may have heard that before. That's not a crazy thought. Man, think about your grades. You're distracted by church. You're, you're distracted by fellowship. Think about your career. You need to see the world. You know, some of our lost parents and friends think that, that you know, I remember when Eve and I were dating, uh, we, had, we had family members that told us that we should move in together and that we should spend, uh, that we should spend some time living together and having premarital sex with each other so that we could figure out if we were actually the right ones for each other, if we were actually compatible. Because there's no way we can figure that out God's way, Right? And that's the kind of advice that we got from family members, right? I mean, some of you may have gotten that advice before. How are you, how are you going to know what you believe if you don't try pursuing other things? Like, like, come on, like, really, you think Jesus Christ is the only way? Come on, why don't you study some other things out, right? Why don't you visit some other churches or some other religious, uh, uh, go practice some other religious things before you land on Christianity? You know, don't, don't decide right now. You're really young, right? Or your church doesn't know you the way we do. That's a lot of us have heard that. We know, we know you for real. And, and, and what they're saying is, you're not the person you're becoming. You're the person that we know you as. Come on, come back here. What about uh, uh, what we taught you? Right? You grew up this way. We taught you this way. Was that not good enough for you? That's like the guilt trip of the century, isn't it? And so we know that there's lots of voices that are, that are speaking into our lives. And you know what? These people love us. And they tell us these things, not, not with the intention to harm us, but the truth is that if we bend our will to theirs, we will lose track of following Jesus Christ. And they do become a voice of opposition. Look around you right now. Look around this room and consider who isn't here today because they listened to a voice that was against them giving up everything to follow Jesus Christ. You can name names, can't you? But listen to me, friend. The answer is the fact that God is for us. We must not fear other people or their voices or their opinions. If God is for us, we need not fear. When it seems like everything is against us following Jesus Christ. And you know what, man? Some of you guys are on that fence. Like, to be honest with you, I know, I know where you're at. You're on that fence. You're trying to decide whether or not it's worth it from day to day. From day to day, you're trying to decide whether or not it's worth it. And what I'm telling you is that God is for you. Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me tell you about the things that are for you. First of all, the Spirit is for you. We learn this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit is for you. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for, uh, for as we ought. For the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit is for us so much so that he's willing to pray on our behalf. The things that we don't even know how to pray. Thank God for that. Romans 8.28 teaches that God is working all things for our good. We just read that. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God is working on our behalf. And he's for us by, his, by the very nature of his plan. Romans 8.32 tells us that the Father is for us. He that spared not his own son, but, to de- but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you understand the message in that? God the Father was willing to give up his only son to die on your behalf. He was willing to make that sacrifice, to take his son, the part of the triune, that is his very nature in, humanly, in human form. He's willing to send him to die on our behalf. Was God not willing to do anything for you? Was he not willing to sacrifice even the most precious thing on your behalf? God is for you. The Father is for you. Jesus is for us. Romans 8.34 who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus Christ himself stood in the gap. He died on our behalf. He gave up everything for us. Willingly, you remember? He says to God, if this cup could pass from me, nevertheless, your will, not my own. He, he was willing, even in the darkest moment, to say, God, whatever it is that you ask me to do, I'm willing to do it because I love this people. Praise God for that. God is for us. And the ultimate proof that God is on our side is the fact that he sent Jesus Christ. Has anyone ever pursued you the way Jesus Christ did? Has anyone ever sacrificed so much for you? God willingly gave up his son, Jesus Christ, and yet we still find ourselves finding retreat in the counsel of worldly people. And we buy into the opposition. Here's our key point. Every opposition becomes transparent and flimsy when held up to the love of Jesus Christ. The flaws become clear when we recognize what Jesus Christ has done for us. The weakness in the advice that you get from the people around you becomes obvious, becomes clear the moment you see what Christ had to give up to win your soul. Am I right? And so then the key becomes remembering that. The key becomes continuing to go to Jesus Christ and remember the story and to remember the gospel and to remember what he did for you and what he gave up. Guys, you should have sections of your scripture in the gospels marked particularly the portions of scripture that deal with what Jesus Christ endured at Calvary. You should have places in your Bible marked where Christ's beard is plucked from his face. You should have places in your Bible marked where he had to carry a cross to Golgotha. You should have places in scripture marked where people spat upon him. You should have places in scripture marked where his side was pierced. 
where he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those places in Scripture should be monuments to you that you continue to go back to in order for you to contextualize and drown out the lies of the world around you. Those are the places that are the most safe for you. And when people are telling you things that you know in your heart of hearts are untrue, and advice that you know is, is not good counsel, go back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's safety there. And it makes the lie so apparent. And so the next question becomes, once you put your faith in Christ and you move beyond the oppositions and you recognize, that those, you recognize the lies for what they are, and you hear them and you can properly put them in the right place, man, that's a good place to be. That's a position of faith. But it's not done. We're not done yet. We're not done Hearing from those outside voices in verse 33, who shall, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is, uh, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for, the, for us. So, so what is this saying? Is that there are people in this world that even once you've determined and you've decided that you're going to follow Jesus Christ, okay, okay, now Satan's job is actually just to distract you. And he is going to use the condemnation of people to do that. Anybody ever had fingers pointed at them before? Anybody ever have slanderous words spoken about them? Anybody ever feel like even though they made a decision to follow Jesus Christ with their life, that they can't shape the testimony of their past and their carnal life? It seems to just stick with you, you know? And there are people, there are friends... That, that continue to remind you of who you used to be. So once we've overcome the oppositions and our faith is staked down and established, we continue to face distractions and it looks like slanderous words. If, if your friend's opposing worldview is no longer a th- threat, then perhaps their words will be. You know, I, for a long time I had this friend named Stephen. Uh, we grew up, we were like best friends, we grew up from, you know, playing basketball together. And like, when you're like, when you're like 10, the most important thing that you can do with your best friend is play basketball. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is, you have your thing. I don't know. You know? But, but, but the, the, me and him spent every day together. And he was my, my best friend. And then what happened is, that when, in high school, when I decided to follow Jesus Christ, he had a really hard time letting go. <laughs> Because in high school, it looked like partying and hanging out and having a good time. You know, our, our, at that point, our relationship had evolved into something greater than just basketball or playing in the creek. You know, throwing mud clots at one another. You know, it's like, at this point, it becomes something more serious. As we grew, our relationship grew, and it became something more wicked. And, and it was hard for him to reckon the fact that I had decided that I had counted all the costs and that I was going to follow Jesus Christ. And so what he and my other friends continued to do was point me back to the fact of who, of who I used to be. And they came up against me in condemnation. And you know, at, at a certain point, the condemnation was the fact that they wouldn't even talk to me, which was also harmful. And, and sometimes condemnation looks like ignoring you completely. Who are the friends that are like that? The people that are like that? Maybe it's even, it's even family members. You know, when I got the job at Lee Summit West, like I was interviewing for it to become a teacher. This was like almost 10 years ago. Um, the principal there knew me because I had 
she was the principal of the high school that I went to when I was in high school. So the lady that I interviewed with was actually my principal. And she remembered me. Now, I, there was only one incident in which I really got in trouble in high school. I was fairly good. But there was one high school uh, experience that was particularly worldly that she held on to, I guess. And so when I sat down for the interview, I think she was taken back. She immediately realized who I was. Now, the, the, the real issue, let's be real honest, John knows this, is that it wasn't me that was that had, like, had like ruined my, the name Briscoe, right? It was my brother and sister that had ruined the Briscoe name. <laughs> I mean, they both dropped out of high school. They were both into drugs. Like, so she, when she interviewed me, she had tied me to that, right? That's who I was. In her mind, I was that person. And it had been a whole, like, it had been like eight or nine years since I graduated high school at this point. And she was still holding on to the fact that that was my reputation, and that's who I was, and that's who she wanted to make me out to be. And that was until she started calling my references. Now, I remember getting a phone call during that process. Dan called me, and he's like, I just got done talking for almost 45 minutes <laughs> to, uh, to uh, Cindy Bateman is her name, talking to Cindy Bateman. And, uh, man, she thought you were just awful. <laughs> Um, but she was intrigued because in the interview process, I talked about being working with youth and all this stuff. And so she was intrigued by that. And so she gave me this chance at the job. And so she started calling my references. And of course, Dan, Dan didn't know me after the flesh. Dan knew me after the spirit. And so Dan actually supported the fact that I had changed. And then they hired me. <laughs> but my point is this, is sometimes you don't let go of those reputations so easily. And there are going to be people that condemn you. There are going to people, be people that, that call you something that you're not. And you know what? Sometimes they convince us that we're not good enough. Oh yeah, maybe I am still that person. Maybe that you're not eloquent enough. What are the lies that you tell yourself? That you're not eloquent enough to be a, a, a proclaimer of the gospel? Well, I'm just not smart enough. I'm not good at studying, and so I, I'm going to struggle to learn the Bible, and, and, and I'm not going to be everything that God wants me to be just because I'm not, I'm not smart enough. Maybe you've got too much baggage, you think, in your mind, or not enough time, or maybe you're not feeling love this week. And so the condemnation becomes something that you say about yourself. Maybe it's not someone else. Maybe it's you. It's condemning you and proclaiming things about yourself that just aren't true. Paul helps us out with this in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. He says, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. I mean, Paul is saying that I don't know Christians after who they used to be. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know, uh, know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Do you believe that this morning? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So God doesn't know you after who you used to be. That's what justified is all about, right? You know, I, was I don't know who I was talking to about this this week, but I was thinking, you know what? We use the term saved a lot, and that's good. That's a good biblical word. We use the word saved a lot. 
You know what? We need to start talking about ourselves in terms of being justified. Why don't we tell people that, yeah, I'm justified? <laughs> Why don't we say that? Yeah, I was justified when I was six year old. Uh, was a six-year-old in church. I, I prayed to Jesus Christ and repented of my sins, and that was the day that I was justified. Why don't we talk that way? I mean, God has made us right in his sight. He's justified us in his sight. It's just as if I'd never sinned. When he looks upon me, he seems, sees me as blameless. Even if I'm not. Even if I've committed some sort of atrocity today. He still sees me as his son and he sees me as loved. And he's not condemning me. And so we ought to not know ourselves that way either. And when people point the finger of condemnation at us, it should not be a threat. No mortal man can call wicked what God has called holy. No chain can hold the person that God has delivered. And no person can, can condemn what God has justified. That's what the passage says. It says, it is God that justifieth. And so our key point. You're just, Cave, you're just so busy taking notes back there that you can't. Did you just skip a point? You skipped a point. Go back. Oh, you got it. You're the man. Okay, did everybody get this? Or did you guys already get this? Did you guys already get this? Okay, this is an important point. God has set you free from sin as well as the associations of sin. Okay, he doesn't associate you with sin anymore. So you ought not associate yourself with sin. You ought to not think about yourself in terms of your weakness. You ought to think about yourself in terms of the fact that God sees you as loved, as a child. Do not call wicked what God has called holy. Okay, the other key point, you're the man, do it. Yeah, there you got it. People, places, and things only have power over if you give them power. This is so important, guys. Who have you given authority to, to speak, to speak into your life, whether it's a truth or a lie? Who have you given authority to? Who gives you the intimate dialogue? Right? Who, who, who gives you advice? We ought to be careful. Because what happens is we, we, are, we tempt ourselves to give people power and give them a voice and give them rule over ourselves even when we know that they speak untruths. So people, places, and things only have power if you give it to them. Right? You guys are so dead today. This is good, Brandon. Now there is potential for hypocrisy, and I'm not going to spend time on that because I feel the Lord leading me to keep moving uh, and, and close out with something else. But there is potential for hypocrisy. And 2 Peter 3.13 tells us that if we're not upright and we're not being blameless and there's something seriously the matter with us, we've got to get it right. If people are pointing the finger at you because you've actually been sinning, that's a problem you need to take care of. There's a, there's a prescription for how to take care of it. You can mortify your flesh. You can do that. And you ought to do that. Now, don't beat yourself up about it. Don't hate yourself. I know that there's times in my life, especially as a leader, when there's a lot riding on my shoulders, when I mess up, it seems that much more egregious, and I carry it with me, and it's heavy sometimes for days. If I feel like I've failed people, I'll carry it with me, and, it's, and it'll take me into a dark place. And I'll even become depressed. But man, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. So I've got to deal with sin issues. I've got to deal with them because I do want to be blameless. It is the right heart attitude, but I need to deal with them the right way, not going into a place of depression or darkness, but to simply deal with them and put them before Jesus Christ and let him take care of it. Okay, so the next point and the final point is I lost my spot in my notes. 
When you touch the iPad, you know how it scrolls up automatically? You touch it in the wrong place? Sorry. What to do about separation? What do we do about separation? We've dealt with opposition. We've dealt with condemnation. What do we do about uh, separation? What do I mean by separation? Let's let's read the verse, and then let's ask ourselves a, a key question. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Fair question. Fair question. For someone who doesn't have the whole New Testament, this is a very fair question for those Romans, isn't it? Are there things that can separate you from the love of Christ? I mean... You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You gave him your life. And everything we know about that means that God has you and he's keeping you. In fact, there's promises in Scripture that tell us that he's going to keep us uh, sealed until the day of redemption. There's promises over and over again in Scripture. But there are many people who don't know the word of God. And there's some people who do know but still struggle to think that, that maybe they could lose what God's given them. And, and the verse asks, it poses the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The warfare over our lives is steep, isn't it? I mean, there's everything coming at you. And the stakes are high. And God knows, God knows that casualties abound. They abound. That men and women of a free will often choose to walk away from what they have in Jesus Christ. They fall away of their own volition. They choose to walk away. 2 Timothy 4.33 says, For the time will come, this is the day in which we live, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And so there are people that of their own choice will turn away, but the question is, what, what happens to them? Does God divorce them? There's a, there was a kid at my school a couple years ago who divorced her parents. Have you heard of this? This is, a, this is a thing. You can divorce your parents. If you think that they're unfit at some point, you can actually divorce your parents. And, and you can uh, legally, no longer, they're no longer your guardians, and their name is like erased from your birth certificate. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, you haven't known Yeah, that's a thing. Okay, and I'm not talking about guardianship. You can actually divorce your parents. Now listen to me. Um, I don't think it happens a whole lot because you can run away from home and that's good enough, I think. But here's the deal. Even if you divorce your parents, okay, even if you divorce your parents, um, you can't change the fact that you, their DNA runs through your body and you can't change that genetic coding. And likewise, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he calls you child, there's no way of erasing that DNA from your system. And there's nothing that can oppose you to take that away or separate you from that fact. This is crucial. So the key question is, are there people, places, or things that can divide us from God and steal our salvation? Okay, so I think that's a slide up there. Yeah, are there people, places, or things that can divide us from God and steal away our salvation? So let's address this very quickly. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for, the, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now let's stop there for a second. What does this suppose? This is a description of the most horrendous circumstances that one can face. Tribulations? Nakedness? I mean, everybody's had that dream about going to school naked. And it's the worst dream that you can have. 
Right? I'd rather have a dream where I just get beat up than the dream about going to school naked. That's a bad dream. Why? Well, because being naked is not good. It's not comfortable. Right? Famine, not good. Famine, not being able to eat, not good. Bad circumstance, correct? This is a list of horrendous circumstances one might face. This is particularly important to the early church in Rome, isn't it? Because some people were actually facing this type of tribulation. Their circumstances were such that if they proclaimed the name Jesus Christ, they could, they could face even death. Certainly persecution was common in Rome. To call yourself a Christian was a dangerous thing to do. This, this, this tells us that there isn't any circumstance in which Christ won't walk through it with us. That's what this is telling us. That God doesn't abandon you in your difficult situation. Listen, no one in here has suffered those types of things in their circumstances that I know of. I mean, I know most of you guys. I don't think anybody has been under the peril of sword or suffered this level of persecution in their life. And God says to these people, I'm going to walk through you through those trials. I'm not going to abandon you. There is no circumstance in which I will walk away and leave you. There's no circumstance that will divide you from my love. And some of you, that's an important promise right now. Because there are circumstances that seek to pull your heart. And you question if your faith is wavering. Will God leave me and abandon me? And the answer is quite simply no. God says our peril can't separate us from his love. So do you let your peril affect your love for him? I mean, that's a real question. Do your circumstances affect your love for him? I mean, his love doesn't waver. His love doesn't change. But perhaps yours does. And that needs to be dealt with. Verse 38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. So in death or life, his love is still with us. Whether here walking through this, this world or in the next, his love is with us. Nor angels or principalities, nor, pow- nor powers, meaning angelic beings. Are you hanging with me? Because keep- oh, you're good, man. You are good. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. This is angelic beings cannot impede Christ's love. No demonic entity, okay? no fallen angel, no evil spirit, no powers in this world or powers in the spiritual world can separate us from the love, whether governmental or celestial. They have no authority in the retention of your salva- over the retention of your salvation. God loves you no matter what. He's got you. Nor things present, nor things to come. Paul's very thorough here. Nothing now or nothing in the future will steal Christ's love from you. I mean, we could probably stop there, but he keeps going just to make sure that you understand it, nor height nor depth. Nothing on earth, no person or thing or entity on earth, nor things in heaven can steal away the love that God has given to you. He continues on, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the key point. This long list right here is the key point. Here's the, uh, the, the, this is it. I mean, this is, this is what you need to understand. Is that nothing can oppose you because you're with Christ. No one can condemn you because Christ has justified you. And no one can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ because you ha- he has you in his right hand. 
There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. This is probably the least difficult part of Romans chapter 8 I had to study. This is incredibly straightforward. Jesus Christ, listen, this is the whole context of Romans chapter 7 bleeding over into chapter 8. Oh, you've got problems. We know. Paul had them too. You've got sins. You've got struggles. You've got bad circumstances. There's things that you're working through. When you want to do the right thing, you constantly find yourself doing the wrong thing. To walk out your Christianity is particularly difficult, and it comes up against you every day. And Romans chapter 8 tells us that God is for us, that the Holy Spirit works on our behalf, that Jesus Christ is for us, that he's got a plan that he's working out on our behalf. And we need not fear, and we need not lose track. And so our conclusion to Romans chapter 8 is this. What is opposing you? What is condemning you? Now that you're back to school, are there people, are there things, are there places that you know will oppose you? In your workplace, are there things and, and people and circumstances that are pointing their finger at you and speaking slanderously about you and telling you that you're something that you're not? What fears and anxieties suspend you from living out your faith? Name them. Right now, name them in your head. Don't let my questions just go right over your head. Name them. Call out the things that you know oppose you. Think about them. Consider them. Things that condemn you. Circumstances that, that, that depress you. And in this invitation, I'm going to have John and Marcy come up. In this invitation, I want you to lay them down at the feet of Jesus Christ and deal with them. So that tomorrow when you go to work and you go to school... You can live in the liberty of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now for conviction. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be working out uh, salvation in the lives of the people in this room. Um, God, our faith is something that needs to be worked out. It's something that requires struggle. It's something that requires difficulty. And God, there are things to be acknowledged and there are things to be dealt with. And in doing so, we, be, we become more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, even in this moment, I pray nothing leave this room undealt with. That there would be no sins that would, be, that would be tucked away in our back pocket as we leave today. That there would be no things that we're holding on to that, that need to be let go of. And God, we would claim the authority of Jesus Christ, over the multiplicity of voices that try to deter us and distract us, that we would claim Jesus over our friends, family, that Luke 14 would be so true of our lives, that we would count the cost, that we would determine that that our love for others would look like hate in comparison to the love we have for Jesus Christ. That's a hard thing to determine. That's a hard thing to, to conclude. That's a hard thing to reconcile. But God, we want to love you at that level, that all our other loves that all our other relationships would be informed by the outstanding love that we have for your son, Jesus Christ. Would you help us in that work? We ask this. In Jesus' name, amen.